Love Talk Radio. Radio, or off the radio, uh, 
try to I try to be who I am. And of course, if things are going right, that person will change over time. So if you knew me 10 years ago or 15 years ago, hopefully I've become a better person. I've certainly changed because I've gained experience. I've done more things, seen more things, lived more days, all of those great things. Um, and hopefully they have uh, brought the better out of me rather than anything else. And it's a funny thing because my experience is that most people don't pay attention to most things. Most people that I know that I've experienced in my life are immersed in their own world. And it is what it is. It doesn't make it good or bad or anything. It's just... Um, you know, if you're driving along, you're supposed to keep your eyes on the road, your hands on the wheel, right? And I think that's how most people drive along in life. And, you know, if you've you ever ridden or driven a big truck, you sit really high up. And when you sit up really high, you can see farther up. Um, the generals of old used to camp up on the hill so that they could see the battlefield down below, and they would be able to strategize, they'd be able to uh, plan better, and I try to live my life in the best way that I can by working on a big picture plan. I, I believe that uh, life has afforded a number of opportunities to make the world different, and by different I mean better. So... That's what I try to do, and that's what this show is all about. Um, I'm hoping that you guys have figured out that this uh, show is being streamed and you can help me share it because my normal channels are not working the way they used to. So um, It's kind of cool, though. Right now I've been watching this show grow over the last, I don't know, seven years, I think, maybe eight years. Yeah, I think, I think we've been doing this for eight years now. And I watched our audience, you know, grow exponentially over the last eight, eight years, I think. We've gone from a few hundred uh, viewers to many thousands, some, some weeks, a lot of thousands. And I, I think to myself, a lot of that, what does that mean, right? You know, we can get caught up on how many people saw or how many people this, how many people that, but... The reality of this show is that it's about each person that we can actually reach and connect and maybe make a difference. Maybe there's something that got said on this show that touched you, reached you. If that happens even to one person one time every show, then it's worth doing. Um, there was a time not that long ago I used to say, you know, I'd, I would do this show just so that Craig Cecil can call in. And, and be able to talk. And now that he's out of prison and, and still confined to his home, but uh, not not locked up anymore, I've looked at that and said, well, okay, now what? You know, what happens when I don't have a guest? Or what happens when the show doesn't work? Or what happens when there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest or much to talk about? Do we do the show? Do we keep doing it? 
And I think the answer is yes. I think it's an important an important tool, a resource. I believe that the the purpose of this show isn't uh, necessarily to have some kind of a scripted topic or 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 exciting and interesting guest, although that happens. I think it's it's a live opportunity for anybody to participate. It's an opportunity maybe for somebody to connect themselves with something that they might find important. It's an opportunity for somebody who's going through a struggle uh, to to share their struggle with more people and maybe find some support or some some guidance or or you know uh, maybe some help in a different way. I had somebody last week that was watching the show, and I always find it interesting because, you know, you got a couple of different ways to approach this. One is you look at how many people viewed it, and that's that means less and less to me as those numbers get bigger because really what matters is how many people actually heard it, how many people got it, how many people uh, did it touch. And, you know, like I'm kind of rambling a little bit about it because I spent a lot of time thinking about this show and what it's about. And somebody came to me last week and said, well, your show would be better if we knew what it was about. If you had a plan, <coughs> if you had an agenda, if you had, um, you know, it all laid out so we could follow along. And I've done that in the past. In fact, that was one of the things that caused conflict in the very beginning, uh, the early days of this show, is, um, I don't know, sheesh, I'm thinking it was probably 2011, almost nine years ago. We had uh, the original people that were working on, on a version of the show, we used to call it News from the Front Lines. And uh, literally, the show was scripted. And it was written out as to not only the topics, but even literal scripts. And I just was never good at that. You know, I wouldn't be a good actor, I don't think, because for me to to read and, and memorize a line and say it back exactly as it was written isn't something I'm particularly good at. I can I can usually capture the spirit of something, and I can I can certainly talk, but um, to actually be scripted, I, I, I wasn't able to comply, and by able I mean willing, <laughs> and and if I was willing, I wouldn't have done it very well. So that caused a conflict initially, and the person who was helping stomped away and and, and, and left. And then the other people that were working on the show, um, you know, again we had a whole team of people. It was it was three or four or even five people sometimes doing this show that we called News from the Front Lines. <coughs> and we had all these different um, categories, um, different topics, different segments, and everybody had their role in it. And my role was generally just to talk. And a lot of times we'd bring a guest in and, um, you know, there was always a lot to say. There was always a lot of things going on that I thought was important enough to share what I thought about it. And at one point, that show took a turn for the worse, and, and some people 
actually live on the air left the organization, and it was a human solution show. So it was, you know, my worst nightmare and 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 embarrassing, and all of those things because you know you want to you want to project an element of class. You want to pre- project an element of 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 I don't know value. <coughs> and when people do things that are silly and and foolish, it, it drags everybody down. And that's when I said, you know, I think I need to do a different show. I just need to do a show where I can do whatever I want. Because that's the world I, I seem to thrive best in. Um, that's why I, generally I don't work for other people. And generally I, I lead rather than follow. Although I always love to follow. Give me something to follow and I'd be glad to glad to do it. But the point is... Um, that's where this show originated. And it was just a show to sit around and, and, and shoot the shit. A show to, to to share a cup of joe with some good folks. And it was advertised as a show about the truth. I believe the truth is really uh, hard to find some days. <clears throat> oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so <coughs> here's the greatest part of this whole thing. Apparently, whoever set the show up today set the show up for fifteen minutes. And so um I'm gonna I think I've got enough overtime to run my show normal. I think that's how it works. But we're gonna be Technically in overtime in about 15 minutes. Got to love it. I just love when this kind of stuff happens because it makes me happy. Um, <clears throat> Becca, I think I've got somebody um, that's just calling in. It might be Craig. Anyways, um, so with regards to the show, what it's about, what it what it is, it's about the truth. It's about um, the truth about people that are going through personal experiences that are affected um, their civil rights, their human rights. It's about organizing activists. It's about making It's about helping people. You know, the work that the Human Solution is about. It's about helping people. But this show by itself is pretty free form. And and I and I leave it that way on purpose because every once in a while we get a great guest that just pops in. I don't want to be bound by, you know, some kind of a script that says, Oh, well we can't do this or we have to do that. But here's something to pay attention to. I I may ramble on here and there and I may I may dive deep sometimes. I may say some things that you may pay attention to or not. But I know this, the people that pay the most attention get the most out of it. The people that engage this show find it powerful. And the more people actually pay attention and listen, the more they will understand and find. And I think that that's reflective of most people in most things. With regards to the Human Solution International, 
Um, we're working real hard to strengthen and, and, and build our organization right now. We're getting close. We're less than a month away from elections, and we're going through doing chapter reviews, and we're having chapter meetings, and I put our headquarters chapter off one more week because we just had so much going on this week. Um, it'll be better next week than it will this week. But um, we've got more and more chapters getting more and more active. I'm still waiting on a few uh, of the reports to come back, but um, people are getting, they're engaging. Uh, more and more members are signing up. More and more people are getting involved. And what I'm finding is interesting. One of my chapters said that they were struggling to get members because people in their area didn't feel that the work we did was important or they didn't understand what we did. And I think to myself, I can understand how that could happen because we do so many things and a lot of times we don't specifically talk about them. A lot of times we're just busy doing them. We're busy supporting people, helping people, educating people, um, standing up for civil rights, making changes, all the things that we do. Um, but we're not limited to just one little thing that people can wrap their head around. So, for example, we we embarked last week on a mission. We, we joined up with another uh, group of people that is uh, organizing marches across the country. And on the 12th of this month, which is a little bit more than a week from now, um, I'll be up in Portland, Oregon marching. Um, and there are marches scheduled all across the country right now at courthouses. And we talked last week on this show. We talked last Saturday on the town hall meeting that we did. Um, and we just posted an article on our website, which I'm going to read shortly. And I think that um, sometimes when we have very specific things that we can show that we do, it helps people to understand and, and participate. For another example, as a 501c3, uh, sometimes we raise money um, for specific causes. And um, this last month, we've been raising money for uh, Glenn and <coughs> Peggy uh, for their court costs. They just got through uh, a, a case that lasted more than two years. Uh, we've been supporting them through this whole time. They've been chapter coordinators and 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 members of the Human Solution, and 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 so when it was their time of need, we raised some money for them. Now I get people asking me all the time, "Can you raise money for this? Can you raise money for that? Can you sponsor me for this? Can you send me there?" Sure, we could, but you got to engage the organization. I'm not just some guy that points my finger at things and money shows up. Uh, you can be sure of that. But I am connected to a great group, and we have the ability to raise money for people. And when we do, all the money we raise goes to that, goes to those projects, goes to those causes. So, um, you know, I've noticed that when we've targeted on a specific task, a specific project, uh, we've been pretty successful. So, anyhow, that's one of the things that I wanted to bring up. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go ahead and read this article, then we're going to bring up Craig, and uh, I apologize for not having Zoom ready today, but um, things sometimes don't go the way we want them to. Um, so this is 
actually really exciting for me because last week we had um, somebody who we've been, we helped a little bit. Um, she had a case out of Orange County in California. She called into the show as would be the, the right way to go about it. Uh, we gave her an opportunity to tell about her story. She was already engaged with one of our chapters up in Northern California, knew some of the people. Uh, we communicated. And last week she said, you know what, I want to get more involved. And, you know, <laughs> if I could have a nickel for every time somebody said that, and if I could have uh, a nickel for every time somebody said, you know, I want to help, I just need to know what to do. And then when you stop what you're doing and you give them time and you, and you teach them or you show them or you, you ask them to show up, most of the time it doesn't happen. And usually it's more trouble to get somebody to help than the help that they actually bring in. But this case was not that. In fact, um, she called up. We did, a, we did a meeting, I think it was the next day. Uh, or it might have been, no, I think it was last Wednesday. She called into our regular Wednesday meeting. And we talked about some of the things that she could do. She said she liked to write. Exciting. Like I've always said, we do ten things to everything that ever gets written about. And so, you know, it's interesting that um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we got a writer. And she just wrote an article and I'm going to read it right now. This is on the Human Solution website, thsintl.org. And this is about the activity I was just talking about. So here it is. More Act, a call to action. Nationwide March, September 12, 2020. And this was written a couple of days ago. Join us in a call to action as we march upon our local legislatures, calling for an historic end to marijuana prohibition. It's About Time March is a nationwide rally event to call attention to the MORE Act, and that's an acronym for Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, the bill to decriminalize marijuana federally. The MORE Act would remove marijuana as a Schedule I substance. We need your help in showing the legislators how much we care and how important this bill is gaining back our freedom all over the United States. People will be marching on capitals, courthouses, and government buildings, demanding that cannabis be removed from the schedule list, period. Does it need to be Schedule 2? Does it need to be Schedule 3? It needs to be off the list. It doesn't belong there. It's not the kind of thing that belongs there. Um, we will begin, begin at our starting point at 10 a.m. and end at 4.20 p.m. We will finish up by marching to our local DEA office doors to let them know how we really feel. It's about time March, Saturday, September 12, 2020, 10 a.m. Cannabis March organizers and attendees, September 12, 2020, and there's a Facebook group. Um, and it, here's, here's a little background. The MORE Act has passed all of its subcommittees and goes to the House floor at the end of September. This is an historic bill because it will remove THC from the Controlled Substances Act, which remains our biggest stumbling block to cannabis. A summary of the MORE Act... It specifically removes marijuana from the list of scheduled substances entirely from the Controlled Substances Act and eliminates criminal penalties 
for an individual who manufactures, distributes, or possesses marijuana. The bill also makes other changes, including the following. Replaces statutory references to marijuana with cannabis. Requires the Bureau of Labor Statistics to regularly publish demographic data on cannabis business owners and employees. Establishes a trust fund to support various programs and services for individuals and businesses and communities impacted by the war on drugs. Imposes a 5% tax on cannabis products and requires that revenues be deposited into the trust fund. 5%, not 10%, not 38% or whatever the states are doing right now, 5%. Makes small business administration loans and services available to entities that are cannabis-related, legitimate businesses or service providers. Prohibits the denial of federal public benefits to a person on the basis of certain cannabis-related conduct or convictions. Prohibits the denial of benefits and protections under immigrant laws on the basis of cannabis-related events. Establishes a process to expunge convictions and and conduct sentencing review hearings related to federal cannabis offenses. That's huge. For more information, you've got the link um, and about Human Solution International. We're a grassroots, federally recognized 501c3 civil rights organization of concerned citizens focused on restoring the rights of those negatively affected by cannabis prohibition. Native Americans, veterans, and the disabled by utilizing education, active support networks, a legal clinic, and peaceful protest. And I think that that was very well written and aptly described not only this action, but us. And so, you know, some of the things that just got brought up there are huge. It's ostensibly it would mandate that cannabis prohibition would cease to exist because federally is the reason why most of the states that are still defiant, and and by defiant I mean have fought any kind of uh, legislation that would allow for its use, um, because they always decry that, oh, it's federally illegal, we can't go against the federal government, and that's, you know, the the, the catch-all. For, for the states that are, you know, uh, fighting this. Many of those states, as we've discovered, do not have a referendum, do not have a ballot initiative process. So the people don't get a chance to submit their own legislation in many of these United States. So, anyways, um, the idea that there's going to be sentencing reviews um, for federal uh, for federal prisoners, um, it could theoretically remove all of the life prisoners that we have in federal prison for cannabis. Um, The idea that it would treat regular businesses or cannabis like a regular business, um, huge, gigantic. These are all indicative of something that's not prohibited, that there is not a policy of prohibition against. So very seldom have I gotten behind legislation because generally it's flawed. I was heavily supportive of the Rohrbacher, um, you know, it, it, it carried several different names, but H.R. 1523, it was at one point, um, and it would have just removed it from the Controlled Substances Act. But this, I think, goes even farther, and it actually recognizes the, the validity of the businesses and the people in, engaged in business. And 
remember this. I think the only true measure of ending prohibition is that the black market disappears. And I think that if this law passes and that the governing bodies accept it, I think theoretically, based on what I'm seeing, the black market could disappear. Remember, there's no black market for beer. There just isn't. I've, I have lived in and out of black market worlds all of my life. And at one point, there was a black market for beer. Today, there's not. It's not worth it for somebody to make beer and bootleg it. It's just not worth it. So people don't do it. Um, that says that there's really not alcohol prohibition today, uh, even though whatever the, 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 the laws and regulations might be tangled and twisted, um, if there's no black market, there's no prohibition. Anyways, we've got Craig Cecil up on the line now. If you have something that you want to say, um, if you have a question, if you want to just share a thought, pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. Usually I have a fancy background behind me that has all that information, but i got Craig Cecil on the line. Craig, how are you doing today? I am well. I am well. And... Uh... I like your attention to the Moore Act and, and the push behind it. Now, of course, uh, you know, it's still going to go through a couple of more iterations, but hopefully there's enough of a push right now for the Congress to actually accomplish something <laughs> that, that this might actually uh, go through. Unfortunately, it's going to run right into uh, the uh, renewing the budget, which I, I suspect – um, it's just going to be a continuing resolution. I, I don't think they're actually going to pass a budget, so I don't think that's going to tie up a, a whole lot of time. But they they are going to try to pass something uh, to help with the pandemic. Because as you know, I, I would be especially interested to see what what kind of direction are you going to give judges in dealing with people that are, are in prison or, like me, serving a life sentence for marijuana right now. You know, what what direction is a judge going to have to reconsider a sentence? You know, can a judge just, you know, um, out of hand say, nope, nope, it was illegal, you know, you're done. Or are they going to actually, you know, write into the law that the judge has to reconsider it in the new climate of today? But I'm, I'm pretty excited about that part of the MORE Act and, you know, how we can get them to uh, better define that to, you know, to, Real in federal judges, we've all seen federal judges do some pretty crazy things. And, and uh, as you can imagine, somebody sentenced to life as a first-time offender uh, for marijuana conspiracy, I don't trust judges. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've seen too many judges do too many things. You know, it's interesting. Um, a judge will, will, will feign powerlessness. Um, because of mandatory minimum sentencing rules, right? They'll say, well, you know, my hands are tied. I have to do this. But we don't have any mandatory maximum sentencing guidelines now, do we? Well, I mean, there's mandatory limits, you know. Uh, all sentences well, I mean, have a, a bottom and a it, top to their range, you know. Well, there's a, there's a range of the recommendation, but is there an actual limit? what a judge can sentence for a specific crime? 
Yes. For instance, okay. um, in the feds, uh, or well, for bank robbery, it, it carries up to 25 years. So it's zero to 25 years. Um, but, for a marijuana know, charge, it's zero to life. <laughs> right, right. But, but, but you know as well as I do, if they want to get you harder than that, they just stack charges. So they can, you know, generally when a judge sentences somebody, they'll, uh, they'll sentence you concurrently, meaning that all of the charges that you're, that you're serving time for are running at the same time. So if, you're, if you got seven charges and each of them could carry five years, you're serving the five years at the same time for all of them, right? However, that yeah. judge could charge you or, or, or sentence you to, those, to, those, to that time consecutively, meaning that when you'd have to charge, you'd have to serve each of those individually, and you'd serve five years for the one, and when that was over, you'd serve five years for the next one. So theoretically, if a judge wanted to, he could, he could stack anybody's charges up and, and hit you many times over what those, what those guidelines would be. Well, that, that's what I'm an example of that. As a first-time offender, I qualified under what they call the safety valve in sentencing. And uh, what that basically means is that I don't face a mandatory minimum. So my, my sentencing range was from zero to life, and we all know what he chose. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of these well-intentioned, you know, laws, you know, if you, if you let a judge run wild, they, they don't make a whole lot of difference. Exactly. And, and I would bring that into your concern of talking earlier about people that just don't seem to be so concerned, uh, you know, what does discussing marijuana in the street and uh, marijuana activism really mean? Well, what it means is, 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 for instance, here in Chicago, the Chatham neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, a predominantly black neighborhood, they had... Uh, Bayside put up a whole lot of money, and they had some local people uh, uh, that were going to open up a, a marijuana store in that neighborhood. It was going to be a black or a black operated store in a black neighborhood. And, uh, I mean, it should have been a great opportunity for the neighborhood. But the people of the neighborhood stand stood up squawking that, "Oh no, we don't want that in our neighborhood." Now, the only reason that, that I could see something like that is is that the people fighting this store were just not educated as to, you know, what marijuana in a marijuana store really means to them and their neighborhood. I mean, marijuana, you know, maybe they're caught into, you know, that they equate marijuana with uh, the people, you know, dead in the alley from the opioids and the heroin and the you know, whatever else, you know, and, and I think it's just a lack of education on the part of these people fighting off a marijuana store, which would bring in money, bring in, you know, uh, jobs, bring in a whole lot of things into their neighborhood. And it, it's, again, you know, that that's what we need the activists for, is to be able to go out in that neighborhood and explain, this is, you know, what marijuana does here. Here is in the states that and in the neighborhoods that have allowed marijuana and marijuana stores, this is how they've changed. Like you talked about uh, the black market uh, fading. Now, there's still a black market, you know, in, in uh, areas now, but as marijuana and marijuana stores become more ubiquitous, um, you know, the prices will go down, 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 and, and 
really the uh, black market won't be able to compete. Well, like I said, that's that's my indicator <laughs> that says that our work in this in this avenue is done. There's two there's two indicators for me. One is that there isn't a black market, um, and you know, unfortunately, in many states where they've passed legislation that allows for it, uh, the taxing and the regulations are so restrictive that uh, it, it's it's not affordable for most people. So, for example. Um, cannabis is, is pretty cheap to grow outdoors. You can It's expensive to grow indoors, but you can grow it outdoors for pretty cheap. And for somebody who really needs it and is living on a fixed income and maybe can't, uh, doesn't know how to grow it or doesn't have access, lives in an apartment, disabled, for whatever reason, isn't able to grow it or doesn't have anybody that can grow it for them, they should be able to have access to it cheap enough as though somebody was growing it outdoors and they were just selling it, right? I mean, to me, that's that indicator because I've been in the medical side of things for 30 years, and what happens is is the lion's share of the people that need cannabis for medical use specifically, meaning they want it for medical use, my experience is that these people um, are on fixed incomes. They don't have a lot of uh, uh, expendable income to put towards that, and it isn't covered under insurance. And so that's one of the things that I think if it was federally descheduled, it would either fall under the category of, um, you know, like non-prescription items, um, that sometimes is covered under insurance, you know, things like, like uh, you know, ointments or maybe some kind of, of bandages or things that are not specifically prescribed that insurances do cover. If it wasn't federally prohibited, it might cover under that. Um, and, you know, they're talking about uh, not restricting any access to, like right now, uh, people that are in um, – FHA homes, or not FHA, but uh, what do you call it, HUD homes, where they're federally subsidized, if if a tenant is found to possess or consume cannabis, they can lose their HUD uh, support, meaning that the government is helping them pay their rent or paying for it entirely. So these are all things that, to me, are one of the big problems of prohibition is that it, it, it isolates not only just the criminal element, but it, it, it keeps people who are legitimately receiving resources from the government from getting those things. And in many cases, it can be, you know, life-affecting, um, you know, in a, in a negative way. Now, the other way that, that would certainly tell me that we've, we've finished the job would be the obvious one, which would mean that there wouldn't be anybody locked up for cannabis anymore. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that there's not going to be somebody locked up that um, had a robbery or, oh, there goes my dogs again. Got to love it. <laughs> Can you hear the, 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 the melee outside there? Uh, peace at the end of the road. You got to love it. Anyways, hopefully they stop pretty soon. My wife thinks that people find this amusing. I hope you guys do. Drives me batty. Anyways, the idea is, is if prohibition was over, 
there wouldn't be anybody locked up in prison right now for cannabis. It just wouldn't happen. You know, like I said, if somebody committed a violent act and also was charged with cannabis, I'm not talking about him. If somebody was, uh, you know, a breaking and entry robber or somebody had, uh, you know, done something else and they threw a cannabis charge to it, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the people that are charged with nonviolent uh, drug offenses only, and those people just don't belong in prison. So those are all the things that I think the MORE Act could accomplish, and I don't know that it will, but it certainly could. And, you know, I've been saying for the longest time, uh, the Human Solution is a civil rights organization. I would love to be able to champion other causes um, beyond just the cannabis that has, you know, been our primary cause for so long. Well, like I say, you know, just that neighborhood that turned down the store coming into the neighborhood, that comes from an ignorance of just not realizing what does that marijuana store mean to their neighborhood. Does it mean that they're bringing drug addicts and, you know, and heroin and everything else to their neighborhood? No. What it does mean, though, is that it's taking out, hopefully, a lot of the drug movers in the streets (laughs) selling marijuana, which is probably the most, you know, commonly sold uh, illegal drug in in states that don't have legal marijuana or in that neighborhood that doesn't have a marijuana store anywhere nearby. But, you know, we have to educate those those people that, that live in that neighborhood that, you know, marijuana is truly medicine to some people and, and to others, um, it, it's not an evil that destroys people, you know, like a lot of drugs do. Well, and, and at very, very, very least, it shouldn't be a crime. And, you know, you brought up an important point, the, the perception of things. You know, um, Anslinger and, uh, um, oh, what's his name, the guy... Uh, Hearst and Lilly and all these guys back in the 30s that launched the campaign that ultimately caused Prohibition to exist did a great job. And they painted to the fears and racist uh, elements in American society at the time, so much so that it became generational and systemic. And and it worked, you know. There are there there's a whole culture that says dopers are the devil's spawn, and that anybody who does cannabis is a doper. And you know, it's it's we all got lumped into a, a group of people um, that have major problems, and and it and we don't belong there. Um, but the truth is the thing that makes the the difference: education. Um, awareness, uh, enlightenment, all of those things are are our allies. They're our weapon. They're our tools. And, you know, the thing that gets me right now is we live in a world where the truth is kind of hard to come by. You know, you get these 10-second snippets. You get um, biased news stories. You get um, people, you know, showing you cell phone footage that, you know, like I said, 10 seconds out of a 30-minute ordeal, and very seldom do we get the whole picture, even so much so as, as in our court system, right? You go, you go to court, and you've been there. You've seen it. 
the, the prosecution presents their case, and then we present our case, and the judge decides what gets to be shown, what evidence is, is allowed. And in many cases, and I, I've seen a lot of cases, and in many cases the prosecution pretty much gets to put on their case as they see fit. Every once in a while, you know, they'll exclude some evidence, and generally it, it, it is a saving grace for the defendant. And then the, the defense many times, most times, uh, witnesses are not allowed, testimony is not allowed, evidence is not allowed um, for various reasons. Um, and generally, and, and I don't know that I've seen any exception to this, and I've seen a lot of, of cannabis cases, when the government comes in and raids a, a, a business or a home and they seize all this evidence, right? <laughs> well, generally when they do that, they seize what they call um, you know, damning evidence or evidence that supports their case of criminal activity. And then they also seize exculpatory evidence, which is evidence that shows innocence or, or that there wasn't a crime committed. But I have never once, never not one time, have I seen the government, the state or the federal government, depending on what it is, present exculpatory evidence. In my case in particular, we had exculpatory evidence that we knew was seized, and they lost it. They disappeared it. It never got presented. It would have made all the difference in the world in discrediting their state's witness that started the whole case, and it would have completely discredited him, but didn't get brought up and, you know, made it for a much more difficult case. So... <clears throat> what my point is is that the truth is is really if these if these citizens of of this neighborhood you're talking about or the myriad of different neighborhoods around the country where uh the idea of a of a cannabis shop of, or a cannabis business of any kind coming into their town is distasteful generally it's not because they have an experience with it it's because of what they've been told. It's about their fears. It's about, you know, like you said, they think um, the doors open up and all of a sudden, you know, the crackheads and the, the heroin junkies and the, 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 the um, fentanyl people and all the, you know, all the people with, with maybe the real drug problems are going to in some way be connected to this. I ran a dispensary for years. I never once had somebody come into my dispensary that had another drug problem that tried to use or obtain or sell those other drugs at my dispensary. It never happened, at least not that I knew about, and it was not even a thing. I, we were literally next to a residence, and the residents didn't know us, but they never had a problem with us. They didn't know us when we moved in. And when we got raided, they were going, what, what did they do? They didn't understand what was going on because we were good neighbors. And there was never any kind of problem. We, we saw to that. It was important to us that we were good neighbors to everybody that we were around. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that as we're coming up to an election cycle, um, the chaos that generally happens, and I wonder how many of the people listening today um, have paid any attention 
historically to the weeks and months running up to a major election cycle. And I think if you do, you'll realize that almost every time, maybe every time, there's a, a, a number of catastrophic events that happen. Now, this year's been a special one, i got to tell you. I don't think we've had a pandemic in, uh, in, in my lifetime, anyways, that, that affected um, the citizens so much. But it seems that every election cycle, there's a series of problems, a lot of times international problems, problems that breed fear, problems, economic problems, problems that, that both sides of the political spectrum come in and say, if I'm elected, I will fix this problem. I will be the one that will lead us out of this. But you know what we don't do? We don't look at those people that are running and say, well, gee, that's interesting because you had 20 years to do that previously and you didn't do shit. What, 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 makes, you think that, what makes me think that you're going to do that today? Well, we listen, we listen to their stump speeches. We listen to their campaigns. We listen to them bash the other guy. And somehow we choose the better alternative. You know, how many people how many people say, Well, I'm not really for this guy, but <clears throat> he's better than the other guy, so I'm gonna vote for him, right? when was the last time we had a lot of people that were really gung ho, so much so that there was a landslide for one candidate or another where where people were heavily supportive. It was somewhat so with with Obama. He had a lot of support, but if I remember right, I don't think he won by a landslide. He won he won handily, but he didn't win by a landslide. And at that time, um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a strong Republican running against him. And so I got to wonder, you know, when was the last time there was two strong candidates running or more? I mean, you know, there's nothing that says we have to be a two-party system. When was the last time you saw a lot of people, I mean a lot of people, that were actually supporting a candidate. I drive around California, I don't see crap. I don't see, I see a handful of people with bumper stickers. I see a handful of people, a handful of signs out there. I see a little teeny smattering of actual public support for any candidate. When I went to Kansas, I saw, I saw some support for Trump, but not, not huge. Uh, Oklahoma, I saw some, some support, not huge. I'm wondering, when, is, when are we going to actually decide that the leaders of our nation are important enough to put some energy into? What do you think? Well, I'm thinking this is kind of a funny election, It's uh, especially for president. because, And I, I think some of the down-ballot races are, are a bit the, the same, but the presidential race, there's really only one candidate running. It seems like uh, people are either voting for Donald Trump or voting against Donald Trump. <laughs> There's really not, you know, this agenda versus that agenda. It's it's really just, uh, you know, the the question: Are you voting for uh, Donald Trump or voting against Donald Trump? So it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of an odd situation. That was exactly my point, you know, and it was like when Obama. One, people weren't voting for the alternative. They were either voting for him or not voting for him. I mean, you know, that was really, it was really the way it was. It, and I just got to wonder, you know, this is, we see this stuff coming. 
every four years, right? We know that in four years from now, it's going to happen again. And, you know, Craig, the thing that really blows me away, right, I was I was uh, looking at an article about uh, the, the monarchy in Thailand and how uh, how how it works, and I and I I am always or often intrigued by how other nations' governments work, and the way that the United States has the the um, the handoff of power, the peaceful uh, succession, regardless of what happens, you know we. We have successfully, uh, uh, you know, exchanged regimes or whatever you want to call it, handed off the, the, the baton peacefully every single time without any problems, in, even in the worst of times, even when both parties hated each other, it, as they do today. We know that there's not going to be a coup that pops up at the last second, right, as, as happened so many times in recent history all the time, right? And we have this government that's so screwed up. I mean, I've been I've been digging in people have been handing me all kinds of articles about um, a lot of this crazy pedophile stuff that, that's been popping up. And I've been going back researching it and, and looking independently at some of these articles and I'm like, son of a bitch, do you have any idea how many people that are connected to the government that have resigned in the last 10 years because of some sex problem with children? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, it's it's a problem. And nobody's talking about it. Like, it's not even – we're busy talking about the guy tweeting the stupid tweets instead of the guy raping the 4-year-old and saying it's the 4-year-old's fault. And that's real stuff. That stuff actually happens. And I'm wondering, you know, we've got all the opportunity in the world, and we've got some good people in the United States. We have some wonderful people. We have some strong leaders. I'm wondering, when are we going to make it important enough that we hand over the reins to represent our people to somebody who's worthy of it? I just can't, can't get over why we don't do that. But sadly, I think it was just a few days ago, they uh, they freed uh, 65 children that were basically sex slaves down in Georgia. That got yeah. very little press, though, unfortunately. But, yeah, you know, right. like today, all day long, the news is Nancy Pelosi went and got her hair cut. Right. You know, I mean, what, what right. are we doing? <laughs> right. Exactly. But that's my point. You know, we rely on, on journalism uh, to give us, you know, the news to tell us what's going on in the world, right? And what do they give us? They give us, you know, the, the train wrecks, the sensational stories, the things that are going to make us angry. They give us that stuff on purpose because it sells newspapers or clicks or whatever the hell they're selling today. Uh, it used to be there was a time when journalism actually meant something, that it wasn't about selling a story. It was about reporting the news. Journalists, had, you know, used to risk their, their lives to get a good story, to get the real story, to be there present and to tell the story um, in a, in a non-biased way. Not that there's really a non-biased way, but, you know, at least they told the whole story. Nowadays, you have to go and say, okay, let's see, I got this story, so whose who's fisheye lens am I looking for, through? Who's paying this guy to tell this story, and what's his agenda? If I don't, if I don't ask those questions, then I'm a fool. You know, and that's unfortunately, I think that that's 
that's the world that we've come in, and um, you know, I don't even know what to say. So, Craig, we're down to a few minutes left of the show. This has been a weird show because I didn't have my regular live stream, so a lot of people um, I know haven't, uh, weren't able to, to connect the way that they normally did. But I've got a few minutes left. I wonder, uh, do you have a, a, a parting shot for us today? Well, as you know, I'm supporting uh, people that, that stand up and uh, do that support. People that go out and educate the neighborhood. Hey, if we had a marijuana store right here, you know what? You wouldn't have those people standing on the corner collecting money. You you would have a bunch of the, you know, people in the neighborhood with jobs. You you would, you know, have, have marijuana running around that you feel safe smoking when it comes out of that store. Not, you know, instead of out of some guy's back pocket, you know, it's, I mean, people need to be educated, and really, we're the people that need to do it. And uh, the same push has to extend to the MORE Act and our, our congressmen, because, you know, it's not getting the press. Like you say, the, the press is, you know, today worried about uh, Nancy Pelosi going to the hair salon, but not all these people, you know, the, these children and people freed from uh, sex slavery. Imagine the father that got the call that, you know, we found your son, we found your daughter, you know, we, we, we've we got them, you know, safe now, you know. That's important. But, but Nancy Pelosi's hair is going to grow back no matter what we do. <laughs> Probably in, in all the places she doesn't want it. But, yep, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, I, I, I am so glad that you're able to join me. Um, the way you are, um, probably, like I said, next week I'll be gearing up to uh, be heading to Oregon. I'm going to be protesting up in Oregon. Um, I'm going to be actually with Becca, um, and we're, we're organizing um, our march and, and getting it all together. So um, it'll be Saturday, I believe, is the day we're actually going to be marching. But this next next Wednesday we'll be I'll, I'll be uh, doing the short strokes of the planning on this. Well, be careful. As as you know, a lot of these marches have been plagued with, you know, a lot of people that don't belong there. So be careful and make sure that your message is, is out front and center. That, that's you bet. We're going to do our best, but uh, we'll talk to you next week before that. And uh, always a pleasure, Craig. It's great to have you with us. All right. Uh, I've, I've got to go for a prior uh uh commitment. So, uh, But thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get this uh, – uh, better ironed out next week. All right. Always a pleasure. Craig Cecil, folks. All right. Well, we're uh, at the end of our show. I've got a couple of things I want to just bring up. And one of them is a quote um, that I saw, and this was by Winston Churchill. And regardless of what you think about Winston Churchill one way or the other, um, he, he was an incredible guy. And he had this to say, truth is incontrovertible. Ignorance can deride it, panic may resent it, malice may destroy it, but there it is. And I think that if we recognize and, and, and maybe value the truth, um, I mean, I've had a lot of recent conversations about uh, staying the course and the truth that comes out of things. I think that our truth comes out of our integrity. Um, and there are just truths. There are just simple truths. Maybe it's worth it for us to take the time to find them. Maybe it's worth it for us to take the effort uh, to, to pry them out of, uh, you know, the, 
the, the myriad of different uh, information bits that come to us. Anyways, um, I think that that's what we have today. I apologize for the, uh, the lack of Zoom, but hopefully you enjoyed the show, and we will see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done. You were always...